0: morning and um, uh, this evening and uh, uh, thanks for coming out. Uh, My name's Tim um, and uh, for the next uh, few moments we're going to read and uh, we're going to talk about Exodus chapter 2 which is part of this ongoing series. We're just at the beginning of it um, that we've we've just started uh, recently. Um, So if you're if you're new or just started coming to Mutley, you're very welcome, and it's lovely to, lovely to see you. Um, I'm uh, one of the members here at Muttley. Uh, my day job, I'm an engineer. And, uh, and so this morning, you kind of got the official account of, uh, of this passage from Andy, our senior pastor, who's actually not with us tonight. So it, chances are we might say uh, some different things. Um, Actually, I I haven't heard what he said this morning, and that's sort of a bit deliberate, but hopefully we're not going to disagree with each other, but kind of, you know, his his is online, and this will be online sort of later, so you can kind of listen to them together, and I hope we kind of, uh, we have a kind of common message. It'd be really good if we did, and I'm sure we will. So Andy's is online, and uh, you've uh, you've got me tonight. On Friday night, I had a, fas- a fantastic evening, fascinating. Um, a friend of mine called me up, and he said, um, would, you, would you come? It's a friend of mine who's usually very organized, and with about five minutes' notice, he said, could you come to a lecture at the university? Friday night, it started at 7 o'clock, and this was at um, quarter to 7. Give him a bit of credit. Gave me a quarter of an hour's notice. And uh, he said, come to a lecture by a chap called Pete Goss. Pete's a Cornishman. And uh, he's a chap that some years ago I had the privilege of working with, and uh, my friend friend said, "Well, let, let's come and uh, meet up with him again." And I don't know whether you know the story of Pete, and we're just going to have a, a, a picture of one of his boats that I did some engineering on with him um, just a, a few years ago, and uh, this was kind of got quite well known in the. Here we go, got quite well known in the in the local press, and it was built for a, a round the world race some years ago. But on that evening on Friday, Pete captured a whole load of sailing projects that he had been involved with, one of which was just prior to this, where he was sailing on his own down in the Southern Ocean in a race called the Vendee Globe. And uh, he was 1,500 miles away from land, from the south of Australia. And some of you will remember this, but it's going back quite a way, 1996, just approaching Christmas. He was on his own, in the teeth of a, a gale. The boat that he was sailing in was knocked down several times. And he could barely sail the boat. And so a mayday comes through from a French com- competitor who was, whose yacht uh, was sinking 100 miles away, up against the wind, upwind in the teeth of the storm. And we were just reminded, I know the story, a lot of you know the story, it's in a book, and uh, uh, he he told again and just remembered how poignant and emotional and and brave his rescue was of this French competitor, Raphael Donnelly. He sailed back upwind in the teeth of 60 knots of breeze and sometimes more to reach this chap who, almost as he got to him, his yacht sank. Temperatures of about... Zero degrees centigrade, the water, wind chill, minus 30 on occasions. Incredible story. But, you know, I'll tell you that because I actually love boats. You know, it was part of my training. I'm a marine engineer by training. And I just love boats. And so the real tenuous connection is that tonight's story in Exodus is about a baby whose mum built him a little boat to rescue him. (laughs) And part of the fascination of the story is that the the words that are used for the little papyrus Moses basket that was then his mum waterproofed it with tar, it's the same words that are used for Noah's Ark. And it's the only place in the Bible where we hear that phraseology. And uh, that not made out of papyrus, but made out of wood was also waterproofed with pitch and tar. And so we read from chapter 2 of Exodus and the first 10 verses about a mum who built her baby a boat, a tiny boat. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter, went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Now, on the face of it, you know, that's a wonderful story, isn't it? It's fantastic. But actually, when we look at the context of this, it's absolutely awful. The context is, is just hell on earth. Because you know from chapter 1 that the context of this is that the Israelites, having gone to Egypt, are multiplying and becoming successful and are, are a threat To the Egyptian regime and so the king of Egypt hatches a plan and says actually what we're going to do is we're going to put these people through forced labour hard labour we're going to try and crush their spirits and when that doesn't work the instruction is that to the midwives all new baby boys should be killed and when that doesn't work Instruction and the rally to the Egyptian people is that the Egyptian ba- the, the, the baby boys should be thrown into the Nile, and it's just awful, calculated cruelty dealt out to the Israelites by the king of Egypt. You know, we look back at uh, verse 22 of chapter 1 just to remind ourselves. Then Pharaoh gave this order to. All his people, every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. It's, it's, it's dreadful, and so some action has to be taken about this, this little boy that's, that, that's born. And it's into that context that we read these first few verses of, of chapter 2, where we, where we, we hear that this, this boy is a fine child, but his mum hides him for three months. Now, can you imagine that? You know, it must be really difficult to do. And then when that doesn't work, she, she constructs this, this little basket, this little boat that he is going to be hidden in. But, you know, w- when you look at the story, I, I try and look behind and peel back some of the layers of this, and you think, you know, what are the emotions that are going on here? you know, as a, as, a, as a mother trying to protect this baby. And you think at any turn, any moment, would somebody come through the door and grab this little boy and throw him into the Nile? You know, the, those are the things. That's the, the, the background. And it's really, it's really dreadful. But look, then there's this amazing turn of events. Moses is in the basket. I tried to find out for how long, actually, and I, I couldn't find the answer very easily. We know he was hidden before he went into the basket for for three months, but we're not actually. I, I couldn't quite find that answer. But then, his sister is sent to observe. Now, when I, I sort of question jumped into my head, well, how old was his sister? And this I found kind of just kind of interesting, and and the first commentator that I came up with suggested that she'd probably be about five. Now five is the age of my, our little Heidi. She's going to be five in a few weeks. And you think the responsibility in that environment to watch her baby brother, you know, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. We'll come to see why that's extraordinary in a moment or two. And then we have this, this account where uh, Pharaoh's daughter Comes across the baby, comes across the basket, and I don't know whether this Moses' sister was this plucky little kid that I first thought that she might be, because when she's sent off to find a Hebrew woman to nurse her, she goes and gets she goes and gets the mum. That's fantastic, isn't it? And you think, well, maybe she's five, and that was just the instinct that she would she would have. But actually, it's an amazing turn of events. And we find that eventually Moses' mum is the one that nurses him. It's an incredible story. We find out later on that Moses grows to maturity in Pharaoh's court and that in itself is extraordinary. Now, we look at that story and I kind of think that there's probably three... Things. There's a lot more, but there's three things you're going to get tonight from me, okay? Simple truths that we can learn. And I think we, they kind of reveal themselves to us from this particular story. I think we've just got a slide that's going to just, just kind of introduce that. Um, uh, the next one, actually, uh, Costa, that's oh, great. Um, yeah, the best advert on TV <laughs> at the moment. But there are simple truths that, for me, are not rocket science. But actually, they are quite complicated to apply. And I think the three things that we learn from this story start with this one, number one. That God is part of your story. And some of you think, well, you know, you, some of you, you, know, you think, well, I've been a Christian a long time. I think that's obvious. And some of you are thinking, well, I just, I'm not sure about that. How does that make Any sense. You know, we see from the account here and on the authority of this passage that God seems to be at work. And what I find interesting is that this account is autobiographical. You know, there are commentators who who suggest that the authorship of Moses hasn't really been challenged. And so he's writing about himself. And actually, he wants to know, he wants us to know, it seems to me, that actually God is at work when we don't realise it. And God's at work in your life and my life before we realise it. Do you know, sometimes we, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's so important and I've thought about some examples of of, of where this might might be true. You know, I've Deborah and I have a friend who has frankly had an awful year. And this morning we were... Deb's got a a text from, from our friend that just compounded the devastating news that they've lived with this year. And it's just dreadful. And yet, when it's possible to stand back from that story of our friend... Somehow, I've just seen the hand of God gently in the silence at work in our friend's life. And it's really hard because so often I, you, we have stood with people in tragic circumstances and we feel that God is silent and God is quiet. But so often when God seems quiet, that his hand is gently at work without us realising it. And in the fullness of time, we look back and we see that God actually does have our back. And he has it and has had it all along. And I think that's the first thing that we learn from this story. And it's, it's, it's hard to work that through. But you know what? At the end of the day, that actually is something that in my experience, painful though sometimes it is, It seems to be the thing that is true. That God has your back and he has been part of your story for a long time. Number two. Women make great leaders. Do you know? It's very interesting. I don't know whether you noticed as we read the story or you've read it before that who are the people that are out to thwart Pharaoh's plans. Let's have a look. You can look back. I've got them written down here. If you look back in the previous chapter, the midwives were given a clear directive from Pharaoh that they were to kill baby boys. Do you know? And what happens at the end of chapter one? Oops, they say, oh, there's another baby being born, and uh, the trouble is with the Uh, Israelite women, they're just very vigorous and we can't get there in time. Fantastic. And you see they're scheming against the directives that have been given to them. And it seems that they're in collusion with the Israelite mothers. So we've got the midwives, we've got the Israelite mothers, and then we've got Moses' mother and his little sister, who's very young. And we've got Pharaoh's Daughter. You know? And Pharaoh's daughter is the one. I can't imagine in that, the tyranny of that regime, the bravery of Pharaoh's daughter to do the right thing. You know, just think about that for a minute. You know, her father has ordered the destruction of children, and yet she decides to protect one and to do the right thing and to protect somebody who is on the underside of power and on the margins. Do you know, 16% of senior church leadership in our country, only 16% is made up of women. And to my mind, when leadership starts with character and values and integrity, and these women that we read about in the story had it in spades... They had spadefuls of the qualities that we look for in leadership. Do you know, sometimes, you know, not here, but generally as Christians, I think we've used some very suspect biblical scholarship to make the argument that women don't have a place in leadership. You know, this is of you might disagree with me, but, you know, this is the view and this is the thing that I get from this passage. It just seems to make sense to me. Do you know, I've been blown away by... Um, we're just going to flick to the next slide, Costal, of, of this young woman, um, Malala, who, whose story has kind of unfolded this year, hasn't it? You know, this young schoolgirl fighting for the rights for girls to be educated in Pakistan and was shot by the Taliban for that in October 2012. Unbelievable to think that that's what somebody would do for somebody fighting for the basic right of education for young girls in that part of the world. But as I looked at the story, what's extraordinary is that her work ha- hadn't started when she was shot, when she was shot in the head, and it started in 2009 where she was writing an anonymous blog for the BBC about the oppression of, of girls in, in that part of the world and their lack of education. And it's, it's only after her identity was revealed and the Taliban found her and they shot her. And you know, a year on, you probably saw it in the news just like a few weeks ago, here's a, a young 16-year-old, a which, by the way, if you do your maths, means that she was probably something like um, sort of 12 when she was doing her original work with the BBC. You know, a 12-year-old who's got this incredible passion and leadership and has, has these amazing values. To, October 2013, we saw her reported in the news with an audience of world leaders, pressing them for urgent action and I think one of her little strap lines was one child, one teacher, one book, one pen can change the world. And here we have a young leader, a woman, a young woman, pressing for urgent action for those who are completely on the underside of power. Extraordinary example. So women make great leaders. Number three. Sorry, at the back, you've got to go. You've got to, you've got to juggle. I'm, I'm afraid my slides are slightly out of order. So you've just got to go back one. Brilliant. Oh, uh, and click, click, click. Brilliant. Number three that on the authority of this passage and on the broader context of Scripture, God has got a role for you. Now, I think most of us would think, well, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Makes sense. You know, I I can buy that. You know, God's got a role for me. But the passage raises a whole bunch of questions, doesn't it? Because we think it's great. God's got a role for people who are kind of bright. You know, they've had a good start in life. They're organized. They're clever. You know, they're well polished. Um, You know, they're friendly. They're musical. They've got tons and tons of gifts. You know, we think, well, that's easy. You know, God's got a role for people like that. No problem at all. But let's just remind ourselves that this is a story about somebody who frankly had a shaky start. You know, who had certainly a time where he he had to be hidden. You know, it wasn't a normal start in life. And so he had a shaky start. You know, the other thing is that, you know, and we're jumping the gun a bit here, he had a shaky middle as well. You know, the next chapter we hear about Moses had a pretty shaky middle as well. You know, because he killed somebody. You know, and that's not, you know, this, these are not good credentials for somebody that God has a role for. And then lastly, and we can go into a ton of detail here, but lastly the thing that God had really called him to he didn't want to do anyway. Because he said, I can't talk, I'm... I'm, I'm sl- And and my understanding of that is that he was a bit slow-witted, not that he had a speech impediment, and God got really cross with him because he he wouldn't do what God had asked him to do. And uh, in spite of all sorts of encouragement, then he has to get his brother Aaron along to help him out. And then the job that God has called Moses to do, he only gets to do when he's really, really old. You know, and he's like 80, and his brother's 83, is when he meets Pharaoh to speak to him. And all that time's elapsed, and sometimes we think, well, you know, it's, uh, you know I'm, I'm kind of 15, and I don't know what God's called me to do, and I'm really cross about it. Actually, God had work to do with Moses, and it took him until he was 80 for this role to kind of be worked out. You know, he had a shaky start, and you might say, well, look, that is me. You know, I've had a shaky start. I wasn't loved. You know, I feel I've got a lot of baggage from, 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 from my past. You know, it's not been great. And actually, the middle bit hasn't been great either. And now, you know, I feel I'm getting on a bit and I think I haven't done much. And, and You know, the great thing is that a story like this, God uses to turn our values upside down. And if you could do it with Moses, I think you could do it with you. I think he can do it. I think he can do it for me. And you know what? The great thing is that throughout history, God has worked through men and women, just like you. The next slide is somebody who's, uh, you know, a real a real hero, and I think, you know, but in many ways, very very sort of ordinary, Mother Teresa. You know, this tiny little lady that spent and dedicated her life to working with those on the underside of power, those people who are poorest. And I love this quote that's attributed to her, which is on the, ne- the next slide, which is this one. That I'm a little pencil in the hand of God who is sending a love letter to the world. What an extraordinarily wonderful statement. And a humble, humble statement as well. You know, God has a role for each one of you. And it might be that a a sentence like this captures it fantastically. In a moment, the the band are just going to come back. But I just wanted to finish with a story. Because uh, it kind of illustrates what I've been trying to say in this last point. And it's a story that Andy's used, actually, and uh, it's been said from this platform before. But it's a wonderful story of a, a mum who is, has given her little boy, not the same little boy as in this story, but another story this is, he's giving him piano lessons. And she decides that what would be really great is to take him to a concert. And so she takes him to a concert, it's in a big concert hall, And uh, you know the orchestra is starting to get a bit squeaky. They're kind of warming up or tuning up, or you know. And uh, and uh, and it's going to be a a, a piano piece. And so there's a wonderfully, a beautifully polished piano in the middle of the the stage. She turns to somebody and she's uh, gets distracted and and talks to a friend. And and when she turns around, her little boy's not there. And just too late, he's gone. And he's gone out of the aisle he's gone up to the front. And yes, he sits at the piano in front of an increasingly packed auditorium. He thinks, I'll practice my pieces. So he starts crashing out some of the pieces he started to learn for his grade one. And he starts playing these. And of course, there's probably it's all a bit middle class and people are a little bit sniffy and Get a little bit embarrassed that this little chap ought to be dragged back off the stage and be told to sh- sit down and shut up. But he starts to play. The pianist is waiting in the wings, and he sees this. And uh, to the amazement of the staff, who are going to try and grab this little little boy and take him away, he says no. And he creeps up behind him and puts his big arms around the little boy. And starts to improvise on the tune that the little boy is crashing out. It starts to make this amazing piece. And it actually sounds really, really good. Do you know, I think you know what I'm going with this. You know, we kind of crash out the keys of life, don't we? We kind of (laughs) do our bit and make a hash of it sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it's okay. And I think God, with his big arms, is there weaving a wonderful piece of music around what you do and what he has called us to do. You know, there's a role for you and me. So that's your lot. That's the sort of things that I've been thinking about this week. And to me, it it, it makes sense of that passage. You know, that we've got a God who is part of our story. He's part of our story, even though it's painful and sometimes he seems silent. Women make great leaders too. And you know what? God has got a role for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that although this story is really familiar to many of us, Few of us will have heard it just for the first time. But there are things in this about a mum who builds a little boat for her baby boy, where we see you at work. We recognize the truth that you are actually at work, even when we don't realize it. And before we come to realize it, you've been at work in our lives and the lives of our friends and our family and those that we love. We recognize the integrity and the values demonstrated by the women in this story. And Father, as we try and work out what our role is in all the things that you have to do, Father, you'll remind us that actually when we crash on the keys of life, on the, you're actually going to be there weaving something amazing. So Father, we thank you for this. And uh, you'd remind us as we go into this week of these things. Amen.